0: As a lot of you guys know, my daily driver is a 2007 Infiniti FX35 Sport. It's about time I put some money into it. Can't just drive the NSX around all the time looking nice. Wanna get some wheels. For over a decade, 4 Wheel Line has been bringing the best truck accessories and truck parts to enhance the appearance and performance of all trucks and SUVs. They're dedicated to providing an extensive range of upgrades that will match any maker model on the road. Their truck products cover everything you need for a custom look and added functionality. I was talking about a wheel and tire package, Head over and use the configuration tool. They carry all the major brands of wheels and tires, so go get outfitted today. Visit them at 4WheelOnline. That's 4Wheel, singular, online. The Hard Parking Podcast brought to you by Right Honda out of Scottsdale, Arizona. I am your host, Jay Finning. Coming up on today's show, Tim McGrain of the M1 Concourse Upper Detroit. I felt the conversation was phenomenal. And I think for those of you that are unfamiliar with Tim, myself included, you kind of got a a slice not only into his history, which he talks about a lot, but just his current mindset and just his, his approach to a lot of things that he does In and around these concourse events, these hospitality-based events, and kind of his thoughts on the EPA and some of the new trends that are out there, and that's coming up in just a few minutes. On one of the Instagrams that I'm part of, One Auto Movement, we posted a question, and it made me think. It was the question was, "What was the first car show that you went to?" And I had to think about it, and you know, I don't. I didn't really have the upbringing to where, well, my father went to car shows or I had an uncle who was always wrenching on cars. Like I didn't know anything really about cars. I knew that the first car that I, I bought a car poster when I was in middle school, the Vector, which I've talked about before, and I had a slant nose Porsche poster on the wall. But I don't think I actually went to my first actual car show where you have people who set up and sit by their cars and you have a judged event and trophies till I was well into my 20s well into my 20s. In fact, I don't think that I went to a legit car show other than just hanging out until I bought the NSX in 2012. And it's kind of interesting because here I am, I'm 45 years old. People know me as being someone who loves cars and I've always loved cars. I used to subscribe to the magazines when I was a child. I rode and track exotic cars quarterly, you know, auto week, you know, everything. I had five or six I was one of those people where they would call you when you would sign up or you'd see in the, in the magazine, you'd sign up for like five different subscriptions for 20 bucks. I would have all these magazines come into the house, but it was never import tuner and it was never turbo magazine. I mean, I had a few of those because I had friends that were into it. I would go to the drag races, but I guess actually paying attention, it wasn't until I was older, but I do remember every year my father would take my brother and I to the Dallas car show. And so for us... That was the car show. As an adult, we know it can be, it's it's very different. You know, the, the Detroit Auto Show, the LA Auto Show. For us, it was the Dallas Auto Show, and that's where we would go, and you would see production cars, just normal cars, and most of them would be stanchioned off, all the nice ones, and the regular consumer class, I would call it, you could get in them. I remember sitting in a Ford Probe when I was in high school. It was a 90, 92 or 94 Ford Probe. And I thought that car was just for me, The Subaru SVX I thought was an awesome vehicle, but those were the car shows. I always thought that was the car show. I never really understood what the other car show was. And the first car show I went to that was a judge show was with my brother-in-law, Ray, who has been on here before. And that's, like I said, right after I bought my NSX. And that was the Out of Control Car Show outside of Detroit somewhere, or toward Detroit. I lived in Grand Rapids and I took home a trophy. Second place, 90s vehicle, totally unexpected. But that kind of started it, and then it wasn't really until I moved here to Arizona in 2014 where I really started getting involved in the car scene, as it was totally different than in West Michigan, at least from my from from what I had witnessed and, and understood. And that's when I started doing the car shows and, and trying to clean my car all the time and make it look better for for the judges and. You know, I had a few successes. I had some, some failures. And I remember one of the biggest frustrating things for me is I was kind of caught in kind of a middle ground with the NSX. It wasn't car show scene spec out. So a lot of the shows, you know, you have import face-off and some of these other car shows where they want to make sure that you can't just have wheels. You have to make sure your wheels are different. So I had TE37s on my car, super classic look. But for people who don't know the difference, they just saw it as some guy with an NSX who pulled up with wheels and, and trying to win a car show. Nothing more frustrating. Because I had done a lot of work to the car before I even moved here. But it looked to the naked eye as if it came like that from the factory. Although it, it didn't. But even with that, I still ran into some issues. And then I decided to really do the ultimate build and do all this other stuff. And I had my my time in the car show scene. But I say all that to say that Tim McRain coming up, completely different car scene, completely different everything. And when we're talking, we're talking about a guy whose background has been with Barrett Jackson, the Rod Report, Blackhawk Museum, Monterey Car Week, the historics up at Laguna Seca. That's a different segment of cars that I've ever really been exposed to from a hobby standpoint. Now, you guys know I love going to Monterey Car Week, but the good thing about this conversation is that we're just two car people and then you learn so much by peeking into the other half because for people who aren't into cars all car people are the same but there's so many different places to go as a car person and so many different levels and so many it's just there's a lot out there but i won't keep you guys waiting coming up tim McRae. time for the social media highlight of the week, brought to you by Cell Shop. The Cell Shop is an Arizona-based retailer that strives to be your destination of choice for wireless services. Visit them at cellshop.us. Today's special guest, CEO of the M1 Concourse in Detroit, Tim McRae. Welcome to the Hard Parking Podcast. Jay, thank you. Of course. Thanks for taking the time. So this year, we have the Woodward Dream Cruise, and they do that every year. I lived there in the area sort of, but I never made it to that event. You've done a lot of stuff and we'll get into some of that here in a few minutes. Have you ever been to the Woodward Dream Cruise?
1: I have not. This year is going to be my first time experiencing it as someone who's lived on the West Coast and for the better part of nearly three decades, I've been actively involved in one form or another with the events that happen on the Monterey Peninsula, whether they be Auctions in my early years, the Pebble Beach Concours for a long period of time. Most recently, Laguna Seco and the Monterey Historics. So I've heard a lot about it. Uh, certainly, I think I have a full understanding of of, of what the Woodward uh, Dream Cruise culture is all about. But, but this will be my first year.
0: Oh uh, yeah, it's it's a different animal from what I understand, especially coming from where you just came from. And for people who normally listen to this podcast, they know that I love Monterey Car Week. Love Monterey Car Week and been up to the Laguna and the Historics. And when I try to explain to people what it is or what they can see, they're they're just, they're in disbelief. Like, no way, like somebody's racing that? I said, yeah, you (laughs) have no idea what era you're in because they take that very expensive car and they put it on that track and they go, you know, they're not driving around on parade laps.
1: Yeah, what you see on the roads there, and uh, uh, not that they necessarily all uh, uh, comply with California DMV, (laughs) but, but that particular wheat, Um, There's sort of an accepted sort of grace period of, you know, as long as you behave yourself, uh, you can push the boundaries of of what's on the road. So you do see some fabulous machinery on the
0: road. Absolutely. So for my listeners, can you kind of tell them a little bit about yourself?
1: So I grew up in Kent, Southeast England. Um, I was probably within earshot of Brandt Hatch Racetrack, which in England uh, was one of the two racetracks at that time that would host formula one grand prix they would alternate years to year um so so as a, a young kid we would go out to, to brands hatch basically for any reason we could think of we'd cycle out there and you know, whether it was you know, at one end of the extreme you know go-karts and saloon cars and then motorcycles and formula one races whether it's the grand prix or they used to have what they called non-championship formula one races back in those days so there was a event called the race of champions And, um, motorcycles, I think were an early passion of ours because we could all imagine ourselves being, you know, Mike Halewood or Agostini or Phil Reed on our bicycles riding around the neighborhood.
0: That last comment makes me wonder, I wonder if kids, children today, because life evolves and the things that people are into evolve so much. And some of those memories, like those are some of the best memories you're riding on your bike and you're, you are somebody or you're in your little car or whatever. And you're pretending like you're somebody, I wonder what. I wonder what kids these days look forward to. Uh,
1: you know, bikes don't have spokes anymore. I mean, so you know, it's been a long time since you've heard the the playing card on the mm-hmm. rear wheel. You know? Right. <laughs> anyway, so I, I grew up there. Um, has always had sort of a, a passion for cars from, from an early age. Um, I can't necessarily tell you, you know, where that came from. Sure. Um, but when I say an early age. I've got some pictures which I cherish, which I don't know whether my parents or my grandparents took. It was at my grandparents' house, and there's a picture of me and my fifth birthday, and uh, I was given an Austin J40 pedal car, uh, which is sort of the iconic British pedal car. Um, most people see them now; uh, they're the the pedal car that's used when they do the race at the Goodwood Revival pedal car races down the straight. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why they're they're most notable. Um, it's also made why they're very difficult to get hold of uh, at affordable prices. And anyway, I had one of those my fifth birthday. So I, I'm thinking that I probably was into cars at an early age because if I was into soccer, uh, I'd probably be standing there with a soccer ball under my arm. Sure. But anyway, so, so cars was something that that uh, was uh, around. Uh, lots of friends, you know, either into custom cars and hot rods. We got American cars when we were young. My car. My dad was a car dealer. He had a used car dealership. It wasn't. Really, it was a business to him. Right. It wasn't a passion. He was. He had formerly been a professional soccer player, that was at a time when you needed a, a real job to live because soccer mm-hmm. didn't pay you enough. So soccer was his passion, and also golf. He golfed a lot. Um, I I wasn't in, into golf. Golf didn't appeal to me at all. And the schools I went to, we weren't allowed to play soccer. So that really wasn't a, a big passion of mine. So it was all about cars. But but obviously you're going down to. Um, hanging out at his, 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 where he worked or his, his his business, they would let me, you know, three point. I, I take cars out into the sort of the back area, back compound, and and I could parallel park and three point turn and and reverse a car into a space, you know, long before anybody was ever think about giving me a driver's right. license. So I spent that that served me well. I'd sit there, and some of those early British cars had had lots of switches. the old Jaguar sedans had, you know, these banks of toggle switches on the dash. i would sit there playing with the wheel and turning these switches on and off. And I I do remember I probably left the lights on a couple of times and got into a whole bunch of trouble with the battery the next day.
0: Going going back to your J40 real quick, because I heard you mention that on another podcast. At one point in time, you were still trying to find one at an auction. Did you ever find one?
1: Yes, I didn't. Uh, My wife did. My lovely wife. So I had come across them. I used to go to Hershey each year mm-hmm. for a number of years, and you'd find them there, and they would be project cases. Right. And you go like, oh, you know, I really don't want to take that on. Or the other extreme, you'd find them at an auction, and, and they would just go for crazy money. Um, and I'm thinking, this is going to end up to be a credential holder. I mean, right. <laughs> that's, that's really what it's going to do. It's going to sit there. Um, and, and I'm, I'm going to relive, you know, my youth, but that's, that's, so it wasn't something that I kept looking around just in case and they ended appeal of good wood just was, it just drove them up. So we were, we were at the Pebble Beach Concord one year. My wife and I, we were at a cocktail reception and, uh, talking to actually somebody I knew for a long time from the Seattle area uh, who had a big automobile collection. And uh, he excused himself to sort of go to the restroom. And while he was gone, Cindy said, "You think Gordon's got an Austin J-40. I'm saying, he won't have an Austin J-40. They're mostly in England, in Europe. Well, little did I know that she, she asked him. And he had two, apparently. Oh, wow. One restored and one unrestored. And she ended up buying the unrestored one, uh, probably because the restored one was, like most of them, sure. crazy money. <laughs> and at the time, I was at the Blackhawk Museum, and uh, we were actually having uh, one of our speaker series. And, and the author, Matt Stone, was there. And he, and he was doing a talk. Um, and one of the staff called it at the chap trying to deliver a pedal car. And I thought, what's he talking about? And it turned out that Cindy had bought this from Gordon. And Gordon had his driver. His driver, he'd lived between Seattle and uh, Scottsdale. His driver was coming through uh, the East San Francisco Bay Area and dropped off the car. So there I was. It was, uh, it was, a, it was a present. Santa came early. And um, I, I have a fear that she probably paid as much for that pedal car as maybe I paid for my my first two or three full-size cars. <laughs> but sure. that's all right. It's a great memento. And, um, hey, maybe our granddaughter will take to it in a few three years when she gets to five.
0: So you didn't try to wedge yourself into one by any chance, right?
1: <laughs> oh, no, it's never going to happen. Right,
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's switch back to the Woodward Dream Cruise. And so this year, the M1 Concourse has an add-on where people can pay – for a day, or they could pay for an entire weekend pass. Like, what has the reception been on that? And was that your brainchild, or you know, is that or is that something you brought? Hey, because it kind of reminds me when I was reading up on it. Like, this is kind of like a micronized quail in a sense, almost to kind yeah. of test the waters to see if if Michigan's ready for something like this.
1: You know, you're, you're, you're not wrong with that. That sort of mindset. No, I, I I can't take credit for it. The team had done this, you know, before I joined M1. Um, it was actually. Planned to happen last year, but as with nearly everything in the world, <laughs> at, at, uh, it, it evaporated as, as COVID descended upon our lives. Sure. Um, so we resurrected it. It's intended to be a complement to the Dream Cruise. Now, you know, I'll, I'll I'll try and talk as an authority who's never attended. You sure. know, There's tens of thousands of cars and hundreds of thousands of people uh, that that are out here for days along Woodward Avenue between Ferndale in the south and up to uh, Pontiac here. But uh, because there are, you know, some great cars out there, whether they be you know, historic muscle cars, legendary hot rods, um, or, car, or or even modern day cars, right. uh, maybe new builds, mm-hmm. you know, SEMA show cars, uh, cu- current, uh, you know, whether uh, you know roadsters or, or cars from Odorama, the you know, Riddler Award winners, you know, because of of their historical value, I mean, the nature, their, their value, or the just the owners feeling like, you know, that's just I, – I, really I don't want to go on Woodward Avenue with this car. Um, right. But they still want to share them. They they, they you know they enjoy their cars. They want other people to enjoy their cars. So we thought if we created an event, um, you know, a series of days, was three days that we would do different events all around cars that were part of what the culture of Woodward Avenue or Dream Cruise is. And, and, it, and because we have this controlled environment uh, at the, the M1 Concourse facility – so we put it together. We also are able to offer some um, some additional amenities. You know, we'll, uh, the ticket will include. You know, you'll get food during the day. You'll get beverages. will obviously have the necessary facilities. Parking will will be accommodate you with with parking. Uh, not not all of it on site. Some of it off site, but mm-hmm. with shuttle service. So all those things that maybe some people have found challenging and uh, maybe a deterrent to, to go down and, and, and do Woodward Avenue. That this will give them an opportunity to to come here uh, and and enjoy these cars. And again, it's you know we're not looking to take anything away from the Dream Cruise because that's what it you know that's what it's all about. But we're on Woodward Avenue. I mean, M1 Concourse took its name from Woodward Avenue's you know original Highway One designation. You know, Michigan One Highway. Right. And, you know the actually from what I understand, uh, there's a certain section of Woodward Avenue was the very first paved highway in North America. So thanks to the the honorary Augustus B. Woodward, uh, you know. So we sit right on on Woodward Avenue. So it was only natural for us to create something, you know, while such an event was happening with so many cars and so many people. When we first announced it, you know, there certainly was some, you know, some, some cautiousness about it. You know, this has been traditionally, you know, a free event, um, you know, unless you're trying to park your car <laughs> somewhere along Woodward in a parking lot. Where it seems to be quite a revenue-generating venture for any property owners around the area. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I think now people and, and we've had an outreach program with car clubs. You know, our team members are going out to the many car events that are now happening now that the weather is nice, whether the weekends or even during the week, and people are really getting engaged with it. And you know, in the last you know two weeks, our, our ticket sales are, are are really taken off. So we think that the people you know are seeing this you know, as, as a good opportunity, but it's not an alternative in the sense that they can come to our event. So, you know, we've got some car clubs where, you know, maybe they found a place or they have a place, but they can only fit 25 members' cars in. And right. there could be yep. 50 members. So, they, you know, who gets the, is it the first 25? Is it, you know, okay, Joe, it's your turn this year because you did it last year. So somebody's missing out. Whereas here, you know, we could accommodate it. That's so they came to us and said, okay, we've got place for 60 cars. But, they can also leave here and go out and, and cruise Woodward Avenue if they've got a spare four hours, which I understand what it takes to to, to get around. You know, a 45-minute drive turns into a four-hour cruise, and, and come back and their their parking space is still there, the space where their club is. So we we think that that will be appealing, and it's going to take a while. I mean, tr- truth—it's only been in the last few weeks that you know, with the with the people getting vaccinated and and most states lifting their regulations, um, you know, we're now sort of starting to, you know, sort of exhale and go, okay, you know, there there is life after this and we want to go out and enjoy it. So we certainly sense a, a, a pent-up demand for people who want to go out and enjoy themselves at car events. So we're looking forward to, to having a very successful event.
0: I didn't really think about some of these vehicles breaking down or potentially having issues because I have to believe there was probably been a laid out history of just things that have gone wrong, whether intentional or unintentional over the years. So now they can park these cars and people can still see them. But for an event that's so that's been so traditional to the entire region, not just Detroit, the the community adoption of this, I, I can imagine what some of the feedback could have been when they first pitched it or what is still coming in. Like have you had to see or read or or handle any of that stuff?
1: Well, from our end, uh, it's my understanding Pontiac was the last of the, I think it's nine cities that that are between Ferndale and Pontiac to formally embrace the cruise. Um, And I can't tell you why that was the case. Um, But, you know, some of the cities are obviously very embracing. Um, You know, maybe some of them uh, may look at it, you know, with more challenging vision, uh, depending upon, uh, you know, if you've got... Long distances between your traffic lights, you know, you end up with, you know, a lot of sort of, you know, stoplight racing. Um, although the, like, it, look, it sounds like by the sheer quantity of cars that are out there, you're probably not doing much speed because it just isn't possible. But if you're out there on the road, I mean, you've got people that are cruising, you know, people that are just trying to get somewhere in their normal right. life and probably wondering, you know, what did I get in the middle of here? So to take the kids to soccer game or something. Um, but, uh, the, so I, I think there's, you know, the, the, the organizing committee, you know, obviously it, I wouldn't say it's a challenging job, but it, but it's certainly, a, uh, uh, i take my hats off to them trying to get, again, if it's, if it's nine cities to sort of all agree on something, but I, but I think it's probably one of those things they're coming anyway. We might as well just a, adopt the program and accommodate them and, and make sure, um, that, that we make the most of it. So Pontiac is it's certainly welcoming. They, they've created a whole sort of welcoming committee for not only this particular week, because we've got back-to-back events here at M1 Concourse, but then in September when we have back-to-back events with our American Speed Festival preceded by Moda Bella. So Pontiac is, is part of their, you know, sort of transition in, in, in bringing Pontiac back from, you know, what obviously is some very challenging times that they've had, uh, really embracing these events and and it's it's great that we get the support for the city, but I think it's just as important for us to do everything we can to make the events that we do here or the events that we're involved in benefit the, this part of, of Oakland County and also the city of Pontiac where we can.
0: Yeah, and, and one thing to remember, I think, that the city has to try to remember, and maybe that's what they, they figured out, is it's not just people there. Like, people are coming from everywhere. To attend this event so it's more revenue but sure the rest of the stuff is, is always gonna be kind of a headache people upset because they can't go shopping and then what do you do with the, the strip mall people and so with regard to the vehicles that are going to be in the concourse and from what I'm reading they're gonna be rotating some of the cars out will they be stanchioned off or will it be like some of the other concourse events where those who are who are there are able to kind of walk around and hopefully engage in some conversation with some of the, the vehicle owners
1: you know that that is our intention. You know we've we've got space here where we can space the cars out, um, and it's our intention to sort of display the cars so they can be enjoyed. Now there may be always be exceptions to the rule in the sense there's one particular car, for whatever reason, you know the owner may say, you know, if I'm going to bring it out, I, I really like it to be stanched enough, and, and it could be just because the experience is right. it's just a magnet for somebody to get in it, you right. know. Um, uh, or, or for whatever reason, but, you know, if you go to you know, a lot of the, like this weekend I'm heading down to, you know, Amelia Island, um, and obviously we've mentioned Pebble Beach and, and those events and the tremendous cars that they have at those events, and people respect the fact that, yes, they're not stanchioned off, but also that um, the, 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 they don't touch them. You know, they enjoy the cars, uh, but respect the fact that they're available and it's not like a auto show where everything's behind ropes. And, so that, that's our intention.
0: Yeah, and, and the people that are attending Pebble Beach and the Quail and some of those events, they've, they've paid a ticket to get in as opposed to, you know, it was exotics before they moved to exotics on Broadway where it's, it's the only wide open free event where you can't really move. And so there's a lot more risk of something going wrong.
1: Well, that's exactly, it's a concentration, you know, when it was down on on Cannery Row, and and I haven't seen it on Broadway, but I've heard that, yeah, you've you've just got so many people in such a little space um, that you just, it's, you've got a a log jam and and that, that has a 10, then you just get too many people in an area where the cars that are exposed are potentially being touched or damaged.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's necessary. And I think it's going to be exciting. Um, I think that people who maybe are against it now because they don't quite understand or they're not used to saying, okay, well, I can walk up and and traditionally look at this thing for free. Whereas now, you know, I have to pay if I want to go in there and look at it. It's, this is, this happens all over the place. And especially with some of your history and some of the things that you've been a part of, this is just par for the course. So I want to kind of switch to to your history. So you have roots in hospitality. You know, how much do you, how much do you think that's actually played a part in all the roles that you've held over the years? Where hospitality is essentially the fundamental experience skill set, I would imagine needed to pull off any large event when dealing with people from all walks of life brought together by their love of automobiles. Like, how much do you think that root hospitality experience has helped you?
1: Well, I I, I think it's been beneficial for me. I, I was very fortunate when I first came out to the states and, and lived in California. I I, I worked for a, a restaurateur in in Palm Springs, tell by the name of Mel Haber. So he owned uh, a high-end restaurant in, a, in an exclusive inn in Palm Springs. He also owned a, a very popular nightclub at the time. Um, and and he, was, he was a driving force when it came to taking care of the guests. Now, his businesses made a lot of money, and we made a lot of money because we took care of the guests. Um, but that being said, uh, it, it was all about making sure that you know when the guests came, how they were greeted – um, how they were taken care of, you know, making sure they didn't wait for anything, you know, g- you know, greeting them, just spending time with them. And he was, he was a taskmaster. Um, you know, people <laughs> used to say to me, you know, did you learn a lot, you know, from Melvin? I said, well, no, did he teach you a lot? He's like, no, you, you just learned. If you didn't learn, you were gone. Right. Um, because it was his business, but, mm-hmm. but he was, I mean, and he was around, he 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 passed away just a couple of years ago, but, uh, but, but, but I think anybody in the desert area, if they knew Mel Haber, I mean, he was considered Mr. Hospitality. Um, and, and I I did pick up a lot from that. And I think that it was those underlying um, lessons or or skills that I was able to take uh, to some of the other worlds that I went into. I mean, whether it's the, the, the classic car auction world or the museum world or events where we're taking care of people, whether they're car events or other events. And. Um you know I, I did some you know events in you know the non automotive world where we were you know taking care of of guests or participants um that were very wealthy and and you were at a position you were putting on a great event, but you couldn't outspend these people you couldn't wow them with hey we've got we've got the biggest shrimp we've ever seen, or we've got the most <laughs> fabulous there so we've got largest because that is nothing they probably owned everything, so we just had to make an impact and there was no shortage of events you know those people get invited everywhere so we looked at it this way we, we had to make a difference in, in how we uh, how we treated these people from the from the moment they arrived um, through all their experience you know if, if they you know I would I wouldn't say joke with the team. It's like if they drop something, it doesn't hit the floor. They want a Band-Aid at two o'clock in the morning. And this was a, a three or four day event in Europe they were doing. It's, and, you know, we're there with that. We'd have 24 hour around the clock, you know, car service. Um, and it was just things like that, that at that level, but but also that the, the car show level. Like, what is the guest experience going to be? You know, whether they've bought a ticket um, or, or entering a car. I, when I joined Laguna Seca, um, I, I went there and as I had been, um, a guest of Laguna Seca, whether the track management or teams, I'd gone there a lot. And I knew the experience that, that I'd seen, um, as a, as an attendee. And when I took over, I got the team together and I said, this is how we have to approach it. Whether they've, they've driven down from San Francisco and they spent money on the tank of gas, or they've shipped their race team from the other side of the world. They've spent money to be here. Um, and whether it's a sunny day in the summer or, or a cold, wet day in the winter, it's our responsibility for all these people media, teams, sponsors, uh, vendors we have to give them that bucket list day experience. You, you know, if you don't like motorcycles, then don't volunteer for a motorcycle event. You know, if you get <laughs> up in true. the morning and, 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 and your true. favorite parking space is taken, that's your problem. But, 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 but check it when you get out of the car because that person coming. Doesn't need to meet a grumpy person because 100%. it's a, they've paid money. They they want an experience, and and that was the that's always been sort of the the culture or the approach that I've tried to instill in our team. Because again, if you're paying just a ticket to come to a car show, everybody that you meet along the way, if you're a a, a, a patron, a guest, or whatever, you've got to feel like you're wanted there. And I think that's the underlying. Uh, approach at, at every level of the types of events that we do, because it's so easy to moan and groan and people go, oh my gosh, you know, I got three more hours to go. And, and then the person comes around the, the corner is like, he's like, hey, I'm here to he go. Oh, what do you want? It's like, no, right. that's not how we do it. So I think to your, your original question, I think that the hospitality mindset, you know, has to be part of, of all the events and activities that we do. And I think that I've been involved with.
0: Everybody wants to be the VIP and it's the things that you do, you have to be dealing with that all the time, whether it's somebody you've known at every event from way back or somebody who's brand new that they think that they're the only one who's spent the same amount of money everybody else has or someone calling you on a favor. How do you juggle those personally? Because I know they have to happen.
1: You know, they do. And, and and I can't tell you whether I'm successful all the time. There's probably people out there going, you know, the guy just walks past me and, and, and doesn't give me the time of day. Um, in fact, it was it was funny, as mentioned at Laguna Seca. So so early in, in my day, I, I would make a point of going around and checking on all the different committees and then the areas that they were taking care of. And, and at the end of the season, you know, we would do this sort of survey of the team. Um, and part of it was also a survey of, you know, what, what was I like to sort of work with? And and, and one of the people, it was a in survey once he, you know, the trouble is he keeps coming around and checking on us, you know, what's with this? And it's like, okay, so I'm not actually checking on them, I'm checking in with them, but uh, but obviously it's coming across the wrong way.
0: Sure.
1: Then <laughs> another person comes around He goes, you know, well he never comes around and checks on us. <laughs> and then another person said, Well, lucky you, keep quiet. <laughs> so it's all relative. But you're doing that with larger groups. Um you, you you just have to you have to try and make an effort all the time, whether it's and, and sometimes something comes up and, and you've got to hurry from one part of an event to another and then somebody wants to stop and talk. So, you know, you, you have to either you know, politely excuse yourself or spend a couple of minutes with them. Um, I always try and say, if I can, I'll be back because I, I have said, well, you know, I'll come back and find you and then you get distracted and then you don't come back and and then, then you're worse that's off because yeah. <laughs> the person said, what did I do wrong? Um, it, it is a challenge, but that's just part of what we do in, in, in trying to make sure um, that, that we put on good events and people have an enjoyable time.
0: I feel like what you just dis- what you just gave examples of about checking up—that's kind of a microcosm, I think, of, of just people in general. Because I can take that exact same example and apply it to a very traditional corporate America, and one employee is going to say, "My boss leaves me alone; they don't care how I'm doing," and the other employee says, "My boss won't leave me alone; they're always asking me how I'm doing." You know, I just—it it seems <laughs> yeah. to not really matter. People just seem to kind of be wired either one way or the other, and it's it's, a, yeah. it's an interesting thing. Have you ever lost a relationship behind an auto, behind something within the automotive community? In a sense, where maybe you had to make a compromise for an employer or some other event that a colleague or even a friend just didn't understand?
1: I have, and I'll I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. And, um. It, it's one. It was a decision that, that I had to make. I was hoping I didn't have to, and it was very tough. Yeah. Um But it, it is if if you're in. You know, a position of responsibility, whether you know the the person that makes you know all the decisions, or sometimes I put it, it's like I don't make all the decisions, but if something goes wrong, I seem to be the only person in charge. <laughs> um, so yes, and and that 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 just happens. Um, you know, I think if you if you, it's just a matter of time. If it hasn't happened to you know anybody that's in a leadership position now, it's just a matter of time. And the busy you are, and I've certainly done worked for a number of organizations and done a lot of events. And I think, you know, but, but that being said, I, I've also had situations where I've had some very challenging initial meetings or relationships or connecting with somebody for the first time on a very challenging situation. And ultimately you end up with very long-term relationships or actually with personal friends. But the first time you, you meet or interact, um, you know, is, is, is not pretty
0: for whatever reason. You win some and you lose some. And it's one of those things. It's like you can make everybody happy sometimes, but you can't make everyone <laughs> happy all the time. So at some point, something's going to happen. And you're, and you're right. Yeah. Switching gears a little bit, let's talk about the car community, because I think trying to paint the car community as one broad stroke is almost like trying to summarize multiple nations of the world with multiple languages as one type of person. Like, how would you define the car community to you?
1: Well, you know, the car community—that—that's that, sort of a broad phrase because absolutely, you know, you—you you can take you know, some of these, you know, single mark, you know, clubs, uh, you know, whether it's you know Corvette or Camaro or, or some of the European, you know, marks, uh, and and never the portion and they're close knit. You know, they've obviously got a passion for that model or, or that manufacturer um, or that particular era, if it's a you know, 55, Chevrolet and, and, and that's their main focus. And then you get, you know, other broad categories like the Antique Automobile Club of America, even though the name is Antique Automobile Club, but the, the the eras of cars that are accepted into that, you know, goes from early vintage and veteran cars, you know, all the way through, you know, 50s and 60s. Sort of the hot rod era. I know on the West Coast, and the, the Good Guys organization, um, mm-hmm. and they've created a, you know, sort of a community, a lot, a lot number of states. And and it's a very active people feel like they're part of this, you know, affinity group. And, and I think that's it. I think people enjoy being part of, of, a, of a group where they've got like-minded interest. Now, like-minded interest, it may just be cars in general, or it may be very specific to, you know, air-cooled Porsche cars uh, and anything in between. So I think it's that, um, you know, enjoying your passion, but enjoying it with other
0: people. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's to the person out there who is not into cars at all, all the car people are all the same. But even given some of the examples you that you stated, I mean, the Porsche Club, the PCA, is they're into the PCA. And if you're not in the PCA, you know, they may not look at you the same. And it's the same thing with some of the low riders and some of the other things. And I just think it's interesting that, uh, I mean, we're all into it, but it's just different enough. Sometimes there's a lot of division. In the car community,
1: well, the other side of that is you've got any organization, whether it's in the car world or, or, or golf or country clubs or hones association. You get a group of people together. There's always, uh, you know, uh, dissenters in the ranks or, or people that just don't agree. So, yeah, I, I think that, that that's just part of it. But yeah, we still enjoy being part of these groups and these associations.
0: Tim, are you allowed to be you when you're at a lot of these events? Because it, it seems like you're in a position where you almost have to kind of be guarded and watch everything you say unless you're surrounded by some of your closest friends that you've accumulated over the last three decades.
1: Well, I'd like to think I don't have to watch what I say. I hope I just say, you know, the, the right thing all the time. Um, but I think I, you know, because some of the organizations that I've worked for, I, I certainly do have to be mindful of the situations I'm in. You know, and and how it, there, there are certainly some times where I've gone, you know, I could quite easily like jump in that car or jump on that motorcycle and and go blast around this facility, and go, ah, I can't really do that right now because I'm supposed to. I mean, I'm I'm you know I'm, I'm supposed to sort of set an example as as sort of leadership of this organization. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said. Um, I, you know, I try to make sure I enjoy myself because invariably I do. I mean, I've been very fortunate that I've had a career that's allowed me to work in areas that I've really enjoyed. Um, which means if you're working long hours, you're, you're, you're doing it at something you enjoy. The downside is that there's no off switch. You know, sometimes my, my wife's friends ask her and said, "How, how do you know when Tim's working or not working? Because when he's not working in the car world you guys are at car events because that that's my passion. I'm very fortunate my wife, yeah. uh, you know, also yeah. uh, appreciates that. But um, I am conscious um, of of what, you know, not so much what I do, uh, but just that I, I, I suppose I, I try to make sure that, that I represent the organization I work for and the position I have in the correct manner.
0: Sure, you have to be mindful. It's like there's times, there has to be sometimes when you're out at an event and you look at a car and – you're thinking to yourself, that's, that's God awful, but you can't say it. But when you go inside and you're on the computer or flipping through a magazine, you can stop at a car and say, Oh, that's God awful. Which <laughs> is the human factor, right?
1: You know, it's, it's one of those things I, you know, I remember looking back at the cars I like when I was younger and, and a lot of them I still like, but there's a lot I'm going, what was I thinking back in those <laughs> days? And, uh, so, um, you know, from a point of view of, you know, people are passionate about all different cars. And, and I suppose at a younger age, I probably was critical. I was that person. They going, oh my gosh, that thing's terrible. There are times when you certainly do look at a car and, and you go, you know, whoa, sure. <laughs> you know, you try not to say it out loud. Um, but then there's cars that, are, again, wouldn't be my taste. But then I connect with the owner, and then you get engaged and see what they like in a car.
0: Sure.
1: You know, I've got a daughter that, uh, you, know, enters, you know, she likes she likes unusual cars. And, and sometimes she'll, she'll go to me, Dad, look at that. I'm like, You like that? She goes, Yeah, that's great. And I, I'm going, like, Do I really know you? Right. But, but we go around, and, and that's the fun part of it. It's, if we all like the same thing, it would be a boring world. So it some be a people's be yeah. yeah, some people's tastes are a little bit way out there. <laughs>
0: That's a great response. And it kind of brings up this nice question. So what have you seen along as far as the evolution of the automotive car culture? Because things, I mean, there's people who have super negative camber where they're riding on an inch of the, the tire, which obviously is designed to do that. You know, what are some of the things that you've seen out there that you've struggled to embrace the most? Like I'm 45 years old and there's trends that I struggle to understand. Like there's a thing called the Carolina squat where the the pickup truck is literally dragging its bumper, rear bumper on the ground, while the front <laughs> is jacked up. Like I just don't understand that. You know, what are some things? And I know we try to, we embrace it, right? Because yeah, the person driving that truck, they're into that, and I respect that they're into that, even though I'm not into it. You know, what are some of the trends you've seen that where you're, you just kind of scratch your head? It's like, okay, I mean, if they if they like it,
1: I, I think the really big wheels ones is the is the one that gets me. You know, the the really tall. Um, you know, almost up, I'm on stilts, type lock, and and you know, not not the four by four with the big mud slinging tires. It, those you understand, you just yep. it, do for dunks. me. And you go like, yeah, but
0: it's, you're going to see a I lot that, of those where you're at. I'm here to tell you. I,
1: I, I know that that that's just one thing. I just look at that and I go, and you know, they've got tires that are you know probably thinner than rubber bands. And you know that just has to be the hardest ride in the hardest world. Hardest ride, yeah. You know, especially <laughs> in the roads in Michigan, as I'm learning very quickly.
0: Oh, they're awful. <laughs> they're awful around the Detroit area. There's a few stretches, especially over by the Detroit airport. But, you know, I mean, L.A.'s got some pretty ugly roads, too. And we
1: know, that's exactly it. It was funny. We drove – I went down to the IMSA race in mid-Ohio last weekend. You know, you drive down here, and, and you cross the state line in, into Ohio, and you go, ooh, I'm on a billiard table.
0: right. Yeah, it's it's uh it's awful. So there's a thing that's going on now with the EPA. So we're gonna talk a little bit about this, um, because I think it's affecting everybody in a certain sense. They've been pretty aggressive in the past few years about going after as they call emission-defeating devices, but not everybody sells emission-defeating devices. But earlier this year they fined a company in Idaho three and a half million dollars for infractions over a given time frame. A lot of people are thinking that these aggressive emissions or with, with the EPA hunt is going to eventually eliminate drag strips and racetracks, things like the the Monterey, you know, like the, the Laguna Historics, you know, the, it could be a thing of the past. And it doesn't seem to matter what era of vehicle you're into. Tuner shops are afraid to make the things that consumers want for fear of being shut down or fined. You know, what are your thoughts on the overall way that the EPA has been aggressively going after tuner shops manufacturers? Because this doesn't matter if you drive a 1930s vehicle, 50s vehicle or 2020 vehicle.
1: Well, it it is concerning. And certainly, you know, you could you can understand the need for sensible regulations. Mm -hmm. Um, But when they're now taking to the point where so, you know, if you're driving a car on the road, whichever state you're in, you know, that car should comply with with whatever the current regulations are for. Um, sort of emissions and smog, or whatever one wants to call it. But what's happening now is they're taking that, um, and it's spreading off, you know, into as you say, into the drag ships and and events like Laguna Seca. But not only that, but but all those other small activities in between. Mm-hmm. And that's why, I think you know, organizations like you know PRI and their parent organizations like SEMA, and and any other group that that's got a a body that's that's uh, trying to address this with you know the elected officials, whether it's statewide or nationally, because you know the industry or the hobby or however you describe it, you know supports you know so much. It, first of all, it generates so much business, um, and I and I think there has to be this this correct balance between you know what is the correct regulation, where does that regulation need to be applied, and have an understanding of. Of what motorsports is all about, or the enjoyment of the automobile that, that doesn't infringe on breaking your know, state regulations, because obviously it is important that we have, uh, you mm-hmm. know, we, we get rid of sort of uh, anything that affects, you know, greenhouse gases from that point of view. And obviously the automobiles are that, but but it is concerning. I, I was had a conversation just uh, two days ago with uh, Jamie Myers from PRI, um, and, and that's the one good thing. One good thing lost, but that's the one thing you know. Cena has <laughs> right, yeah, that that yeah. that power, you know, because of their size. But all other, some of the other racing organizations and, and any other collective body that touches the world that we're in it's very important that we address that because, you know, if, if you're not into cars and you don't have to be madly passionate about cars, if you don't understand it, it, it it's easy for an elected official just to go. Oh, well, this looks right. And they stamp it yep. and they go, they don't understand the collateral damage that's caused by something that, you know, and even if they did understand, they meant well, but it, it wasn't thought a way through it and, and how it impacts the larger automotive, motorsports and, and everything to do with the world that, that people enjoy with cars.
0: Yeah. I was at a local tuner shop. The owner was walking around. I asked him if he would come on. He's a little shy about coming onto the show. But I mean, he said they're doing work for a commercial. They're, they're scared of the individuals coming in, like myself, to get stuff done. Because, I mean, Magnaflow and Borla and all the big names themselves, like production has almost halted on their research on these things. And the EPA isn't coming in and saying, hey, beginning on June 5th of 2021, no more. They're saying, give me your books, stop what you're doing. We're going to go through and we're going to fine you for every infraction and then we'll talk. And it's it's scaring the heck out of some of these smaller businesses. Yeah,
1: that's so, um, so wrong. It's really not the way to approach yeah. it. And, and, and I, I hope they get that you know, corrected. Um, you know, we all, uh, you know, I suppose we all have our own versions of how we, we perceive e- bureaucracy at different levels. But but that just seems a case of where it, it's really gone way off the rails.
0: Yeah. So let's flip this around and get you out of here on a couple of fun things. There's times at least I know where you kind of look back and you miss a certain feeling. Like maybe that first time you saw a car where it's like, oh wow, I gotta have that car. Like for me, the first time I saw a McLaren F1 or uh, or a Vector, it's that feeling. Like, what's something you look back and miss, even though it's gone and it's okay that it's gone, but you still kind of look back and it's like, man, wow, I missed that.
1: Um probably the high pitched roar of v12 and v10 formula one engines Mm. um as when we look back and and at that time race car engines were just loud um (laughs) uh but it was a sound it wasn't a noise you know they made Mm -hmm. this wonderful sound um and in the era of the Cosworth v8 where nearly all the f1 teams you know that was they were all using there was ferrari obviously had their own engine the Renault team had their turbo, which made a different sound. Um, in the world of sports cars, I, I will say, not in the world of sports cars, in the world of race cars, I truly believe the Matra engine for those cars that they raced in Le Mans in the 70s is is probably one of the, uh, the best-sounding engines. And I know the Ferrari guys will be going, oh, what does he know? But Ferrari engines sound great. But boy, really, a, a, a Matra Le Mans sports car at full song is a wonderful thing. But... Um, I, I think that V12, uh, V10 era in Formula One, as, as ear-splitting as it was, you know that that that's a certain they missed that. Um, I wouldn't say I missed it, but the first time I heard it, it made the, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Was a listening to one of the Auto Union Grand Prix cars, uh, so that would be a V16 being driven around the streets of of the Monaco circuit by Jackie Icks. This probably would be six, five or six years ago. It was one of the Monaco Historics. You know, he wasn't racing it. It was just demonstration laps. Uh, but because there's certain parts of the circuit where you know he can push on it. You know, when you go through, you know, what they call that, the, the Sandevoc curve, and they go up the hill mm-hmm. to Casino Square. So you know, the engines, the engines under load, and because the building so so close. Uh, that that was that was magical. That that was a great sound. I can't imagine what it was like in the day when you had, you know, what they call the the era of the silver arrows. You had the Mercedes Grand Prix cars and the, and the Auto Union Grand Prix cars, and, and, and they were duking it out. That just had to be something special.
0: Have you ever gone to the the WeatherTech International Historics up in Elkhart Lake?
1: Uh, I have not. I I hope to now. I'm a lot closer. You're a lot I closer. I went to yeah. I went to. Um, they used to be – was formerly called the Chicago Historics. It was held at Elkhart Lake, and it was put on by a chap from Chicago by the name of Joe Marchetti. I didn't know Joe that well, but when I worked for Rick Cole, he and Joe were really good friends. Um, and Joe was oh, a consummate hospitality person. He owned a, a restaurant um, in the Chicago area called Como Inn. But you went to the races because Joe took care of everybody. So I'd been to historic races up there at that time, obviously been to some IMSA races – uh, recently but i i hope to go to the uh the weather tech challenge i mean the weather tech historics up there the guys up there i got to know very well through my time at laguna seca mike kirchner and his team mm-hmm. and um it's a great track and uh seedkins in, in elkhart lake is also oh, yes. a place that uh you, oh, know, so you have times. to get there you have
0: to get there i've been <laughs> there a few times you have to get there that super famous painting that they have with all the racers that have come yeah. in there one, one year
1: we were there. They have that, you know, where they, the, you, you drive your race car from the track, and uh, they have the car show downtown. Mm-hmm. And then, then later in the evening, they all drive back. Um, I'd ridden with Rick. He had a Lotus 23B. And, you know, Rick's smaller in statue. I, st- I stand six foot tall. So, you know, sitting in a little car like that, I'm, I'm like a cartoon character sticking out. So, you know, we drove in, in the parade. I think it was police escorted downtown. And uh, but then we got, I think we went to dinner, spent some time with friends. By the time it was over, not only had the rest of the cars gone, but it was now dark. And, uh, you know, we're trying to make our way back to the track in a race car with no lights along the old roads. That was, uh um, yeah, that was an interesting trip.
0: I'm familiar with that route. I led a few parade laps around the historic Road America course that w- goes through downtown Elkhart Lake. And oh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with that. What's left on the Tim McRing wish list of events to either attend or be a large part of organizationally?
1: Um, I think I'm going to have my hands full as we go to events to organize. Um, I think what we've got here, we're going to start putting together a three to five year plan for um, the events that we have, you know, sort of theming them, looking down the road and going, OK, how can we make this one a little bit special that year? Because there's an anniversary or there's, there's somebody we're going to recognize. Um, I think we're going to, you know, look to, uh, you know, create another feature event. We'll find a time on our calendar and obviously the other calendars out there and see if we can find an opening. Not sure what that will be, but certainly we'll have a, a combination of a, a, an automotive theme and a lifestyle theme here. So we'll work on that. I, um, I've never been to Monza, um, and I think that just the passion that Italians have i think you know there's there's certainly a number of f1 uh tracks historic tracks i've been to but i think i think monza would have to be up there uh you'd actually have to do that um i've never done the london to brighton i've watched it when i was a lot younger um and it it wasn't quite as uh, well supported you know there was a period of time where you know you it was the you know you had you know fathers or grandfathers that had the car and and the, the younger generation weren't coming around um, and actually, I think it's 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 generally thought of that there's a, a film called Genevieve, um, which is a British film. It was based around the London to Brighton, and the film became very very popular in England, uh, and was was probably responsible for the turnaround of people interested in the London to Brighton. So you know that's event going on. Um, you know I have had a lot of friends that participate. I have some friends that that have been involved with it. They. Um, Given that the cutoff for the cars is 1904, you can't Ooh. have anything <laughs> younger than 1904, and 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 boy, not only are they strict about that, but but the, the verification process that the car has to go through to actually make sure that it is a true 1904 car, and and uh, you know from that point of view, but the numbers of cars uh, that participate, you know, uh, uh, growing each year, and the average age of the participant is going down so you're Which getting good. young and that's exactly it it's what now this is an exceptional event but it's it's wonderful that that's the case and you know because you know that still keeps the legacy of those you know pre-turn of the century i mean in one year a few years ago i heard that they were they thought that the numbers were going down maybe it went down for a couple of years and they thought well let's increase it by 2 years you know we'll make it 1906 or maybe it was one year um, and oh my gosh, the uproar uh, from from the the people that participated that they were going to change it, um, and they were very adamant about it. They were like, no, it's never going to happen. And and the anniversary is based around you know the the changing of the rules in England. Mm-hmm. It was called the Red Flag Act. You know they they got away with the the act that required if you had a car that a man had to walk in front of your car with a red flag to warn everybody that this this monstrous car automobile was coming down the road, and, and the start of the London to Brighton you know, was to recognize that. So, uh, uh, yeah, they're very passionate about it, that a car, uh, an event, and what it's also done, it's made those cars so much more valuable. I mean, You can take a, you know, a a 1904 car and and its sister 1805, and you could potentially have double, triple, or sometimes 10 times the value in the cars because it's eligible to qualify for the London to Brighton run.
0: Wow. Well, you know, I understand that. I mean, as each year passes, it seems like more of those cars may potentially drop off. You know, the participant bank is going to get smaller. Yeah. One more question for you. You've heard this question all sorts of various ways. So I'm sure, but I have a little, a little spin for you at the end. So the world is ending tomorrow. You've done everything you've committed to do. Everyone in your life has given you permission to do this. What car are you taking on your last drive and why? And you cannot take the 1959
1: Aston Martin dbr one. <laughs> um, so do I know if it's a long drive, a short drive, a fast drive, or?
0: It can be as long as you want because it's got to make it. Throw comfort out the window.
1: You know, I tell you what, what would be a special ride. I'd seen it a number of times statically. And when I was at the Blackhawk Museum, we were fortunate enough to have the car as part of an exhibit. And I got to ride in it. And it's the 53 Sabre. The styling car that Harley Earl did for General Motors, uh, sorry, the Bill Mitchell car, it is a stunning design. The car in its day, technology-wise, was certainly revolutionary. I I would say that that would be it. I I would say just give me enough time to get cross-country at a leisurely pace.
0: So kind of comfort. I'm I'm looking at one right now, or one I, I believe is it. It's, uh, it's It's blue. It's a lighter blue. It's
1: got, got the that circle distinctive in the front. oval, and, yep, and that actually rotates to 180 degrees. And there's two headlights in that. What? So so that spins around. That that oval spins around, and that's where the wow. lights are. It was actually probably the original flex fuel car because in the back. There's one tank to take uh, gasoline and one tank to take ethanol. It's a pretty special car, but styling-wise, it just looks—it looks wonderful. Yeah, that would be a ride.
0: Wow, I did not know that. As far as uh, ethanol, and people think this is a new thing. And I talked about this on an older show. Yeah, they've been trying to do EV vehicles for ages as well. It's just now like a big thing. You know? Yeah. So. If you want to get a hold of the adventures of Tim McGrain, how do they get? How do they get a hold of you?
1: I spend a lot, lot of time at M1 Concourse, so on our m one concoursecom dot uh, you know, website uh, and our Facebook page. There, we just you know, keep up with what we've got going here, and you know, so you know, for people who are interested, either in the area or making a road trip, you know, sort of come by. Now, I, sh- I should say back onto the Saba. So the Lasaba, uh, and I think the exhibit is still going on. At the Detroit Institute of Arts, they are having an exhibit, and the exact title of the exhibit slips my mind at the moment. But the Lesabre is part of that. There's a, oh, wow. It's a pretty stunning selection of cars. You know, again, the past, present, and future, different styling. Um, obviously, being at the Detroit Institute of Arts, it's all about sort of the art of the automobile. But if you're in the area, um, it's well worth stopping by. And then. You know, obviously, if we're, to, if we're making a car stop, you have to go to the, go to the Henry Ford, to go to the Detroit Institute of Art, and, and if we've got a car activity going on at M1 Concourse, stop by here.
0: Awesome! Thank you so much for spending the time with me. It's been a, a big pleasure.
1: Jay, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity. I
0: want to thank Tim McRae for joining the show. That was probably one of my favorite conversations I've had so far. If you have any questions or comments. Or want to be a future guest, send me an email at hardparkingpodcast at gmail.com. If this is your first time listening to the show, thank you. Please share it with a friend, even if it's just sharing this episode. And if you really like the show, go ahead and subscribe. Each week I promise you I'll give you something new, and something different. Want to think right Honda out of Scottsdale, Arizona, higher quality detail at Tempe, Arizona, boosterbath.com, fourwheelonline.com, tongue treats.com, and sell shop wireless services. Can't forget the credit mix, Patreon business supporters, Kuya Automotive out of Winter Garden, Florida, and other people who have joined the Patreon program. If you're in a position to help the podcast upgrade, you can join for as low as $3 a month and get access to bonus audio as well as show swag. I'm actually working on some new t-shirts. Those should be out very soon. Or you can click the anchor.fm link in the description, which allows you to support the show for as low as 99 cents a month, which you can't even buy a cup of coffee at that price. You can pick up some swag at the Teespring store. I also invite you to join in on the conversation at Hard Parking Violations, which is a Facebook page specifically for this podcast and the hard parking media. We have a lot of fun, and it's not just car talk because that's not just what we do here, the Non-Automotive Automotive Automotive Podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at NA2NSX or J-Travels, which is J-H-A-E underscore travels. Subscribe to me on YouTube, Hard Parking Podcast, or Hard Parking Media. It is associative content to the show. It's not a direct port of the content on the show. I can't grow without you telling the world how great the show is. So let's do this. Let's grow this thing together. And I will talk to you all next week. Are you tired of blowing out your back at the bathtub while washing your dog or subjecting your canine to a water torture bath while leashed up to a post outside? Now there's a far more effective way to wash your pet while saving your back and keeping your dog happy. It's called Booster Bath, a portable bathtub on legs. Head over to boosterbath.com, one word, and pick one up. Available in three sizes, this tub system features a drain, a soap cubby, and water controlling wand. This tub conveniently breaks down to be stored when not in use. Want to save 10% on your first time purchase? Head over and sign up today to make that happen. Boosterbath.com. Are you tired of your dog losing its cool in a thunderstorm or fireworks? You might want to look at tongue treats. TongueTreats.com, high anxiety relief, pain relief, inflammation relief. It's a direct connection between the tongue and the brain. Doesn't waste time going down to the stomach where it gets broken down, enters the bloodstream, then to the brain eventually. By then, little Izzy, my dog, has been hiding under the house for like 20 minutes. The Tongue treat CBD strips provide rapid results for your pet with the right amount of CBD, which is not psychoactive. It's important to test and verify your pet is getting the proper dosage. A single strip should be enough. Have doubts? There's certified analysis from a lab available on the website. Think about it. Efficacy and economy. Tongue Treats. Shut up!